Well, as we come to Isaiah 63, let's pray and ask the Lord to open a window for our own heart and mind. Lord, when we are trapped in the darkness, when you, O oh God, open a window, light streams in and dispels the darkness, and we're asking, O oh God, dear God, would you even this morning, by your spirit and your word, uh, please open a window of light. There's people here uh, this morning, many of us, Lord, that need uh, that beam of light, that uh, ray of truth uh, to come and bring us freedom and hope again, O oh God. So we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. The vision which the prophet Isaiah uh, saw so many centuries ago and that's recorded here in Isaiah 63 was really given to a people that were, were helpless. They'd, they were conquered by another nation and they knew that they were the people of God but they were struggling. They were suffering because their enemies were still against them and although they were God's people, they were waiting for God to save them, waiting for the salvation ultimately to come. And in many ways they're like us because we know that we are the people of God, owned by him, but we live in this world uh, and it's not easy. It's a struggle. Enemies of all sorts are against us. And troubles beset us. And difficulties are in our way. And we're looking for hope. And this vision that was given to Isaiah was a great strength and a hope for the people then. And it has through the centuries been a hope for God's people. And my prayer is that it will be a hope for us as a church, even this morning. This vision that um, Isaiah sees it's almost like he's on the is a watchman on the city walls and he's watching out and sees someone coming it says in verse 1 who is this coming from edom from bosra where his garments are stained crimson who is this robed in splendor striding forth in the greatness of his strength he sees a vision but what he sees he doesn't understand and he asks, he sees this great vision. He's saying, who is this? He sees a great figure coming in tremendous strength and striding forward. Nothing hesitating about this great one that's coming. He's got great confidence and he's coming in the power of his might. And the question is, who is this? Who is this coming from Edom? Notice something about this great warrior that, that takes Isaiah's attention right from the beginning and that is that he's got blood on his clothes. His garments are stained with crimson. So here we have a warrior coming in great splendour and strength and it's clear that he's been in a fight. He's been in a bloody battle and he's the victor. He's one. And Isaiah is saying, who is this? 
Who is this that's coming? It is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. The enemy has been slaughtered. (laughs) The, The enemy has been put down and defeated. And now this great warrior is returning from a bloody battle. Who is this? He's coming from Edom. And that tells us a great deal. Because in, from the earliest biblical times, Edom was that nation that was opposed to God. <laughs> Edomites were the people that when, God, when, when people, God's people were trying to come into the promised land, they opposed them. They, they, they opposed them. And if you follow the name of Edom through the Bible, you'll find that it represents everything that's opposed to God and God's spirit. It's set against uh, the spirit of God and God's glory. Edom is the embodiment of ceaseless opposition and animosity to God. Edom is that which is against God. And so... All the forces of darkness, even now, that are arrayed against what God is purposing, are spiritual Edom. And Bosra is its capital. Who is this coming from Edom with blood on his garments, crimson? This is a vision of a great warrior who has made an end to Edom, who has made an end to all evil and to all Darkness, this is a warrior who has conquered all the dark forces that have entrapped the world. The world was helpless against and now they've been beaten and destroyed finally by this great warrior. Who is this? In Revelation 19, we've got a description of Christ. Listen, right at the other end of the Bible... A description of Christ in Revelation 19. It says, I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings, And Lord of Lords. Who is this? Have a look at him. Be standing in amazement of him. Who is this coming from Edom? It's clear that this is a description of the Lord. The Lord of all. The one who came as a baby, as a child, weak and humble. The one who, who called children to him and, and gathered them in his arms. The one who, who stripped off his clothes and put a towel around his waist and washed the disciples' feet. The one who was helpless on the cross, crying out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? But I want you to know that there's a fuller picture of this great one. Who is this? 
He's a mighty conquering warrior and he puts down all evil and nothing ever ultimately will stand in his way. He will conquer. If you look back 10 chapters, not from Isaiah 63, but from Isaiah 53, you'll find a magnificent picture of one who comes like a lamb and suffers and dies, giving incredible grace to anyone who is trapped in sin and darkness. But that's not all Isaiah wants to say about this one. That is the servant of the Lord But right now, he's saying that this is a great and mighty conqueror. If Christ has come, and if he's died, and if he's risen in great power, then where is his victory? Why is the church so weak and and struggling so hard across the nations? Where is that great victory? Now, many of you, I hope, will be able to say, I've known his great and tremendous victory deep in my life. But there has to come a final climax. There has to come a time when God's victory is applied to all his foes. A final judgment, a final destruction of evil and everything that's opposed to the will of God. A final settlement between the Lord and all those who oppose him. Who is this? Coming from Edom, striding in splendour with his garments crimson. This is a climactic end to all wickedness, to all evil, to all darkness. This is one that is coming. He's conquered. Many movies uh, have as their theme the theme of good versus evil. Evil forces gather strength and they want to conquer, they want to take over, they want to accomplish all that they want to accomplish. And then some great one, some hero, eventually rises and there's a great battle and ultimately good triumphs. Buried deep in all human hearts is a desire for evil to be conquered and to be smashed, to be ultimately defeated. And this is echoing in all human hearts. And here, this vision that Isaiah sees is the final defeat of good conquering evil. It's very important to notice something. The answer is, it is I proclaiming victory, mighty to save. This is about salvation. It's about salvation. Salvation for God's people. This great warrior is victorious over evil completely, but he's mighty to save his people. He's coming to save uh, his people. And the Bible from beginning to end is about God coming to save His people. Who is this? And there's a second question. Why? In verse 2. Why are your garments red like those of one treading the winepress? 
Do you know what a wine press is? In those days, they'd kind of have a trough and they'd put all the grapes in, the, in this trough and someone would get into the trough and tread these grapes and it was a wine press and they'd get all their garments red from treading the wine. In actual fact, it's a picture of great horror, to be honest. Why are your garments red like those treading a wide press? And the warrior answers in verse 6, I trampled the nations in my anger. In my wrath I made them drunk. I poured out their blood on the ground. It says, I trample, he says, I trampled them in my anger and I trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments and I stained all my clothing. It was for me the day of vengeance. The year for me to, to redeem had come. Notice something about this. It's very personal. Very personal. He doesn't just make a judicial uh, decision way up in some castle somewhere and get someone else to do it. He said, I've come. I've come and I'm going to trample... I've trampled the nations in my anger, my anger and my wrath and it's my vengeance was in my heart. It's very, very personal. Here is a picture of God's holy opposition to all evil and against all who will eventually side with evil. It is an image of God coming with tremendous strength. But not just strength, in fact, but with anger. Anger, he repeats it, just in case you missed it. And it's about wrath, and it's about vengeance. Many movies, if you're offended by this, many movies are filled absolutely chock-a-block with the most gruesome violence that is almost unbearable to watch. Just chock-a-block. And it is violence for violence's sake. And people drink it in. Totally drink it in. I cannot wait, wait to watch the next one. But this is something totally different. Because this is now the holy God of all purity and all majesty saying to evil, I am going to put an end to you. I am going to destroy you forever. This is a righteous king. And it's his passion. It's in his heart. Do you remember when Jesus came into the temple and he tipped over tables and drove people out and made a whip and whipped them and he said, the zeal of your house has consumed me. I am not going to put up with that which defiles God. And here God is furious against evil. He is angry. And at this point, There is no mercy. There is destruction. This is a picture of the God of the universe. 
Listen to Revelation chapter 6, which also tells us about Christ. It says that then the king of the earth, the princes and the generals, the rich and the mighty and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks and the mountains. And they called on the rocks and the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. And who can withstand it? It's looking, for a, it's looking to a future time. It's looking to a future time. And the kings of the earth, those that are mighty and powerful, what do they say? They're calling to the mountains to fall on them and the rocks. That would be far, far better if the mountains would fall on us. At least we are protected from the wrath of the Lamb. In the book of Revelation, the Lamb is always Christ, the one who gave his life. And this lamb, helpless, a lamb is a helpless thing. A lamb is sacrificed. A lamb is subject to every other power, but not anymore. The wrath of the lamb is the mighty one. And they're crying out that the mountains would fall on them if they could only be protected from the wrath of the lamb. Who can withstand it, they ask. Who can withstand the wrath? Look. The same God who comes as a little baby, Christ. And the same one who died helplessly on a cross is that God who comes to conquer evil in the end and to bring it to an end. He does it in righteousness. In Isaiah 59, which is, a, par- which is a, par- a passage very, very similar to the one we're looking at this morning, it says that his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head And he put on the garments of vengeance. He he dressed himself as a warrior. But but, but the the righteousness sustained him because he was implacably opposed to everything that was evil and he was going to accomplish his salvation and his victory. Notice that This violence that we see uh, in the movies, the violence that we see on the streets, is done in wickedness. It's done in great wickedness. But here the wrath of God is done in righteousness and in purity. In verse 3, This great conquering warrior says, I have trodden the winepress alone. From the nations, no one was with me. I've done it alone. I've done it totally alone. And from the nations, no one was with me. When Christ came in redemption, he came as a little baby alone, as it were. When he 
went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He wanted others to pray with him, but they fell asleep and he was totally alone. When he went to trial, the disciples said, we will surely be with you. We will die if we have to. We'll die with you. But they all scattered and he was totally alone. When he was on the cross, he died alone. In redemption, God through Christ was accomplishing salvation alone. And now he's saying, and when I finish it, when I come to finish it all off, I will be alone. I looked, but there was no one to help me. I was appalled that no one gave me support, so my, arm, my own arm achieved salvation for me and my own wrath sustained me. <laughs> I did it alone. It is a picture of the helplessness of, of our human will. We can't do it. You say, oh, I'm a good person and I'll change my life. You won't. You can't. Christ, thank God for this, that he sees that we're all helpless, we're all hopeless. And he says, okay, I'll do it alone. My own arm will achieve salvation. He was appalled that no one could help. And so he dressed himself in righteousness. He took on the sword and the garments of vengeance. In Revelation chapter 5, John was looking for someone that could open this scroll, a scroll of history. Um, and there an angel cried out and said, Who is worthy to break the seals or open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could, could open the scroll or even look inside. And John wept and wept because no one could be found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. But then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll of the seven seals. He alone is worthy and he alone has got the power to conquer. I want you to see clearly that this is a work of salvation. Yes, it's a work of great judgment and a great wrath and great anger and vengeance, in fact. Do you remember that verse in the scripture says, do not take revenge. Do not human beings take revenge. Why? Because it's mine to avenge. I will do it. <laughs> and it'll be worse than you've imagined in your own mind. Just, just take your hands off it. I, in holiness and righteousness, will accomplish what I need to accomplish. But ultimately, this is a work of salvation because he says, so my own arm achieved salvation. He's bringing salvation. Yes, he's opposed to all evil that might, and with all his might, he's conquering over evil. But this is a work of salvation. It's the God of heaven saying, I'm going to finish this. I've come. I've died on the cross. 
breaking the power of sin and hell and death. But I will come. I will come. And I will accomplish the final ending of all evil and all powers of darkness. My desire is that this would be an encouragement for you. I'll tell you why. Because you, like me, are facing all sorts of struggles in this world. Every kind of difficulty, every kind of hardship. And and we're believers in Christ and yet hardships come and difficulties come and opposition comes and and we're weighed down with every kind of of mental thing or physical thing or, or relationship problem or someone attacking us from the outside. There's all sorts of hardships as we wait. And what the Lord is saying, will you look? I'm showing you a glimpse in this vision of someone great, tremendously, tremendously great. And please have your eye on him. It's not over yet. There are hardships and difficulties here. But who is this? He's someone that will ultimately conquer all. And our hearts are to rise. There's people here and you've got tremendous difficulties at work. You've got challenges in your body and you don't know how much longer you're going to live. You've got issues with your family or there's troubles in in ways that you never anticipated. And the Lord is saying, will you look? Will you take heart? Because this world is only this long. And there is a conqueror coming. And he's coming with salvation and hope. Lift up your heads and hope in him. Do not be afraid. Because his own harm is bringing salvation, even for you. Maybe there's someone here and you're on the wrong side of this battle. You're opposed to God. You haven't surrendered to him. It's vital, it's absolutely vital that you come to the one who has died on the cross for you. It's vital that you surrender to him and know his goodness and grace because there is coming a day where he will oppose his enemies and he will trample them down like trampling down grapes in a wine press. This God, this Lord, this great conquering warrior is our God. He's giving himself to us in all his strength and all his majesty and all his beauty and it is ours to bow before him and receive his grace and hope. And it's my desire this morning that you would come to such a great one. I'm not asking you to come to a little pussycat that's kind and fluffy. I'm, not ask, I'm asking you to come to someone who is great and mighty and great, greater splendour than you've ever imagined and to walk through this world with whatever challenges and hardships, trusting in him, knowing he will not drop you. He is for you. He will carry you with love and with great faithfulness. Let me pray. Lord, please, Lord, dispel 
the doubts of our hearts. And please, Lord, uh, may our, our weak knees, Lord, be strengthened. Lord, please, may we lift up our heads as we see your coming. Please, Lord, may our hope rise and our joy increase. Lord, even though hardships and difficulties assail us and beat us and knock us around, praying that your glory would be our be our great hope and be our rear guard. May your glory go before us and go behind us as we travel through this world. And I'm praying for these brothers and sisters that are even in this room and in the sound of my voice that you, O oh God, would be a great saviour to them and to us, O oh God, in fresh and new ways, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.